Good afternoon, everyone. This is Palmini, and we are back with the fifth episode of Canada Ciceroni Live, a initiative which we took at Ciceroni to bring together the entire fashion community of Gujarat. While understanding that each one is a creative professional, they used to prefer to stay in their silos. We thought, why not let's begin the dialogues around them. Meanwhile, in Copenhagen, there is this international Copenhagen Fashion Summit that is going on. Who are going to discuss and debate issues on sustainability? What are the new technological innovations in sustainability? And uh, that's a major dialogue. Thirteen hundred people are attending it. But here in Ahmedabad, we have with us a very prolific personality, Dr. Rebecca Rubens, with us. Hi. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being a part of Canada's Association. Thank you. So to give you an idea of what Rebecca does, let me take you through her profile. Um, she is one of the India's uh, three world bamboo ambassadors. Having studied at NIFT, NIB, and Delft University of Technology, the Netherlands, she currently works as an adjunct professor at SET. A large part of her work has been in development sector, along with institutions, governments, NGOs, MSMEs, and communities in Europe, Asia, and Africa. She currently practices design, craft, and sustainability through her. Sustainability Design Studio called Rhizome and creates sustainable jewelry through her label Baka Jewelry. She has consulted for various brands like Godrej Group, Godard, and Nicobar, which a lot of people in fashion would definitely recognize them. She is also a published author. Isn't it amazing to have such a brilliant personality with us today? So, a long bio indeed. Let's start with the <laughs> with the basic question, you know, because we are loaded with the sustainability discussions everywhere. Um, what led you to become the the first tag that you have world bamboo ambassador? Can you tell us your journey? How did it all begin, like? Um, so originally, I did not want to work in the development sector at all. <laughs> so uh, I come from a family of architects and interior designers. So my plan was actually. Mainstream designer and um, have a Bentley and a penthouse and all yeah, that. Yeah. So saving the world was not my agenda <laughs> <laughs> at all. Yeah, but um, I had this amazing professor called Andy Lenter in NID, and uh, he literally arm twisted me and forced me to go to uh, the northeast of India in Kuruna and uh, work there. And when I worked there, I realized I had never seen poverty at that scale. I was a city girl, and I, I, I didn't know that. I, mean, I knew that people are that old, but I had not seen it. And so, uh, when I came out from there, I, I really felt that whatever little I can do, I, I must contribute to it somehow. And uh, I started working with the International Network for Bamboo Vietnam, which is a multi-governmental institution headquartered in Beijing. So I worked with them for seven years, and I uh, traveled all over the world. It's a long time, seven years. Right? Yeah. Marketing Initiative, right. which looked at uh, taking bamboo products from uh, producers, poor producers, and linking them to lucrative markets. Right. And so, when you do that kind of marketing, you already look at design and all kinds of things. Right. So I got to know people in the sector, and I started working intensively. And uh, then the World Bamboo Organization approached a few of us because they 
having worked with it for about uh, 15 years at that time, and I also did more work on Mango. Correct. So they asked me, and I said yes, sir. That's how it became. Nice. So, so the buzzword is on about sustainability. Everybody is talking about sustainable living, sustainable clothing, probably organic farming and organic food. So, how can you help break it for people? What actually does sustainability mean? When one gets to think about um, food, culture, clothing, or maybe architecture. Okay, so um, historically, if you trace it back, the whole idea of sustainability started somewhere around the 70s, when the industrial world industrialized and it caused a lot of uh, ecological damage. So the first ideas of industrialization were related to pollution, to the air, to the water, to the earth. After that, there were a lot of policies put in place to stop this damage. But people said that if we can't afford to stop this damage, how do we do it? Right. So then the idea of sustainability expanded into something that we should protect the environment, but it should be in a way by which people can still live and earn money and do business and sell stuff and have lives. Um, more recently, there has been a lot of voices in the okay. developing world who have said that. It is not just about the environment and emissions and energy which are measurable. Right. It is also about culture. So our moms who saved our Nescafe bottles, yeah, you know, in a life that is essentially sustainable. Yes. The idea of giving clothes to your younger brother or sibling and then on 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 until it gets made into a blanket or goes to a maid style or something or becomes a coat or you know whatever, that is sustainability. So sustainability is not one of these. It is all of these, and unless all of these are catered to, you can't be sustainable. So you can't tell a poor person that you can't cut this tree because it's the last tree of the species. If his son is hungry or his wife is sick, he will do that. Cut, you know. Cut. So he's going to cut it. So unless you provide him a viable source of income, hmm. and it should be the way that is culturally acceptable to you. So if you tell him that you, if he's a vegetarian, that you need to do some kind of meat related thing, he will not do that. Cut. So it has to fall within all these things. And only then it can be sustainable. Communities, 
I was surprised to see the gods that they have. So one of the gods is the tiger because tigers would kill their, you know, kids. So Vag, that is one god. So even the forest department is a god for them because even they terrorize them. So, so, so anything that terrorizes you, you respect it and you worship it and you pray that please don't harm me. Yeah. And you try to make bargains with something that is. And so that is the fundamental of sustainability. That's why if you look at all the ancient cultures, they are all sustainable, they are all about non-tastefulness. Until we had water to our doorsteps, we wouldn't wash and use a washing machine, which right. uses so much of water because you have to carry that water in your head. Yeah. So it's actually about not taking things for granted. We do that because we can take it for granted. They are more sustainable, probably not because of because they are better people, but simply because they can't take it for granted. And when they can take it for granted, they will also become like us. Correct. You are also, uh, you talk about crafts a lot otherwise, crafts and sustainability. What do you think, how can a designer add value to a particular craft form and also ensure that the, the craftsman is getting enough from it? Like right now we see uh, the crafts of India has become a huge movement. Yeah. You know, in last two years or three years since the Make in India came into picture in the crafts of India are now. So everybody wants to buy crafts of India. Mm -hmm. Is it really helping the craftsmen? Number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, how can a designer actually practice that? Okay, so um, a lot of people have this very romantic idea about crafts. But crafts actually came in because, so first we had the hunter-gatherers. Everybody was uh, stressed out because there was no food. Yeah. Then they became agriculture related. So they had to stay in one place. They got constant food. So then when they got constant food, food was not the rest and they had time on their hands. Yeah. So they started making houses. They started making teleporter things. They started making clothes and doing all that kind of stuff. So that's how crafts actually evolved. Craft was never an artistic pursuit in the entirety. Right. It was also largely a utilitarian pursuit. So first you look at your basic stuff, then you look at say something like uh, utilitarian stuff and then you look at art which makes your heart sick which is also need. Right. The need for beauty and others also need. So now we have this really romantic notion of saving crafts and preserving right. crafts and conserving right. crafts. Yeah. But I really feel that if crafts would have been conserved then the pot would have a decoration on it, right? Because somebody would have said, no, this is a purest pot and you can't have decoration on it. A sari would never have 30 leaves or 500 leaves as in the case of India because you just need a cloth, no? mm. why ornament it, why add anything to it. Mm. So first of all, craft needs to be dynamic mm. and to be dynamic, it needs to be commercially viable because right. it cannot afford to be dynamic. Right. Now the great problem is that it's not about mass production hmm. because India was always mass producing when we were exporting things to Rome, when we were exporting things you know, to the British before they decided to do all of their economic policies on us. So it's not mass production. The problem is actually finding a market. Hmm. And the problem for our craftspeople and craftspeople around the world today is that they have normally always either had a middleman or they have had direct contact with their patrons. Mm. Now they have neither. Because everybody says that, oh no, middlemen are so bad and they take away the money. But all of us are middlemen, all service providers are middlemen in that sense, right? So there's nothing wrong with middlemen. What is wrong is about an inequitable distribution of the profits. Right. So there's nothing wrong with actually a designer coming in and being a middleman-like functionary right. to a craftsperson. Now in terms of 
what can the designer do, what can the craftsperson do. We often actually get um, a lot of mails from uh, designers from abroad who think that we are a craft enterprise and we are. And they say that we will come and we will design things for you and we will save your lives essentially. <laughs> and then we write to them that we don't need you to save our lives because we are okay and actually if you want to work with Akra, then you come, you know. But come in humility, not because we are superior or you are superior, but because both of us have something valuable to offer each other. Right. Similarly, if we say what can designers offer to craft and what can craft offer to designers, it is a transaction which needs to be equitable. Correct. Equitable is the question. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, equitable is different from equal. Correct. So, you have to see that how much contribution one is giving to say sales or marketing or whatever the agenda is. The agenda might be preserving the culture. So whatever you can allocate equitability to it, that's how you can do it. But I don't think that um, like either one is more important or less important. I think both have to contribute to the process of developing something new. So a lot of times, like the whole sustainability story in India at this moment, a lot of it is about selling craft and sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you do without craftspeople? Yeah. So in, in materials like bamboo, which is the material which I work with, um, if I want a plastic pipe, I can go to a market and say that I want a one-inch plastic pipe which is 2 mm thin. But I can't get that answer in bamboo, right? Right. So for all of the craft materials, there are no technical manuals. So the craftsperson is your engineer as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can put buildings and concrete into a software and say how much concrete and steel I know to make the building stash. Yeah. But in a bamboo part, there are no such statistics. Right. So, the craftsperson's word is better than mine. Okay. Okay. So, I, I think the craftsperson actually has more to offer the designer. Huh. In most of the cases, the designer to the craftsperson, which is the case. Yeah. But, Sibyl, what do you, uh, since you work with so many craftspeople, we have spoken to so many craftspeople over the period of like the three years that we've met. And I've always felt that uh, the, the generation now probably does not want to get into the crafts. Because obviously they also have aspirational value and they want to look at other occupations yeah. which are not so least paid with so much of technical labor that goes into it. Yeah. So do you think there should be craft colleges across the country yeah. which could kind of one help them skill themselves a little better with the current contemporary designs and to allow other people probably who do not know the craft to get into it? So I don't think there should be, there are. Then there will be institutions to support that. 
already the people want to get into it but they are getting from the perspective of hobbies hmm. so there are a lot of hobbyist craft enterprises right and then if you see there are so many things where the craft person comes and shows and gives you some basic classes especially for kids and um, women homemakers yeah and there are a lot of those tie and dye, lip curl and mata lip curl and all of it that is being taught so the moment they start getting a lot of money in it people why why would anybody not want to do something that they enjoy if they can get money out of it right so as long as the status gets elevated into a commercially viable option people would definitely never do it and they should do it yeah so what made you start bakajuri coming uh, to the fashion part of it <laughs> from the sustainability because bakajuri i have been a big fan of it and i love the like your days and the new ones that you are making with the silver uh, foils or sheet yeah. i guess right yeah. so what made you start that
really differentiate whether it's a sustainable product actually or not. Because they might have taken care of one or two aspects yeah. of sustainability, but not the entire gamut. So maybe if you would want to elaborate on that. Yeah, so sustainability certification is a huge, huge, huge issue. And there is a lot of what we call greenwashing yeah. going on yeah. right now. Uh, to the extent that uh, we also do a lot of certification work. Yeah. So when we do certification work, a lot of the feedback in the countries that we get from people is that like, uh, like I work extensively in Vietnam, so I've talked about Vietnam. Um, people think that sustainable products are either A, more expensive or too underperforming. Huh. You know? huh. So it won't work as good, say, if it's like a washing powder or something, it won't work as good as the mainstream things. And if it's an organic thing, it has to be more expensive. Yeah. And then there's greenwashing. So there's so much of negativity kind of associated with sustainable you know, products and yeah. systems that certification has become a very, very, very big issue. Now there are no really good certifications and all of the certifications like you said are specific to some part. So you have a fair trade specification or you have an FSC certification. But there is no meta-holistic certification except for the one which we did for Unido in Vietnam. Okay. Which is now a pan Unido certification system which assesses on all four aspects of sustainability. But the truth is that there is no mechanism. So what are these four aspects? If you were to kind of tell people to really look into, what would be these four aspects? So first would be the ecological aspect of it. That is clean materials, clean energy, carbon footprint, things like that. Second is the social aspect. That fair trade, equitable um, kind of business. Um, like all those issues like looking at gender, it should not be gender insensitive to workplace, all these kind of things. So these are social issues, livelihood, which is a big part of it. Then there are cultural issues, is it something related to craft mm. or some traditional industries or indigenous knowledge or is it promoting a culture of sustainability? Mm. Are you teaching people to be more sustainable or encouraging people to be more sustainable? Mm. So say a laptop that switches off itself is encouraging you to be a, um, encouraging a culture of consumerism which yeah. is sustainable. Mm. So that and the last part is economic. So it should be economically sustainable in the sense that the distribution of profit should be equitable. So if you have, even if you have those women's I made your clothes and so that is a social aspect of it. Yeah, yeah great, you are showing who made your clothes but are you even paying them? Correct. Please say how much you paid. Correct. <laughs> you know? So don't divert the salaries but at least say how much they are paid in the pay scale. So in our, in our studio, the craftspeople are the most highly paid. Right. And they are not highly paid because I want to be good. They are highly paid because they are worth it. And they are worth it because we invest in them. So most of our craftspeople know AutoCAD. One of our craftspersons has gone and taken a workshop in France. He learned French before that. Hmm. So uh, they can do all these kind of things. So they've just not had the opportunity. Like I always tell my craftspeople, if you were born in my house, then you don't have to do that. Because they are actually that brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. that they were born in a different place opportunities weren't as bad. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they can't be capacity built. Right. So just today in the morning, one of my craftspeople came and showed me a better design than any of the designers in the studio have done. Right. So he said, I have designed here and I'm happy he has designed it. Right. So it's really cool. So you have to look at all of these kind of things when you're looking at sustainability. And the last thing is, um, do you think designers need to really work hard on awareness campaigns about sustainability in today's time and age? No, I don't think so. I think that there should be policy which makes sustainability compulsory. It's not an option. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really tired of Tom Tommy 
they are the bad guys because they are not doing it. What is so great if I am doing my duty? Yeah. Like sustainability is a responsibility here for all of us who want to live in the world and want to fix it, continue living. All of us better do it. And the person who is not doing it, he should be highlighted. Why are the good guys being highlighted? They are not that good. They are just doing what they are supposed to be doing. I read this Border and Fall manifesto. Border and Fall is one of these portals which kind of has uh, issued last year some 10 uh, commandments for sustainability. Out of which one was that, that like why are we even talking about this? Right? Yeah. In the first place they should not have been there. Yeah, why exactly. are we even talking? But since nobody is listening to it, let's yeah. just kind of list down those 8 10 points and really uh, talk about <laughs> it. So thank you so much Rebecca, okay, it has been such a pleasure and I am sure the audience would have found it very very interesting to know from the basics what, how could they identify sustainability right? If you want to know more probably follow her page, she has been doing fantastic work with what she does at Rizome and uh, Bakaj Veldri. As for us Ciceroni, keep following us if you like what we are doing here. Do share, like, subscribe and comment. Turn on the notifications for Canada Cicerone Live. We will see you back again next week at the same time with another guest and exciting topic. Thank you so much.